0: plushcare.com slash weight loss we're converting
1: people one stomach at a time to what fresh food can taste like you use whatever
0: you can use and you respect every bit of it you know if it's in season you use it we need to study and we need to read and we need to know about our region and what it's doing before we can start putting things on dishes G'day and welcome to another episode of the Quicksand Food Connection. This time around, I'm speaking with Dr. Noel Arald. Dr. Arald is the man behind Lee Sun Exotic Mushrooms, and if you're unaware of the name, you might have heard of the Mushroom Farm in the Old Barrel Train Tunnel. This is the place where Dr. Harold grows a variety of exotic mushrooms in an abandoned train tunnel that sits 50 metres below the surface of the earth. The tunnel provides perfect growing conditions for mushrooms and he's built his enterprise there since 1987. He's a great guy and he knows absolutely everything there is to know about mushroom farming especially exotic mushrooms and i had a really interesting chat with him so i do hope that you enjoy my conversation with dr noel arrold from lee sun exotic mushrooms in Mittagong. i
1: took it over in 1987 and at the time I was I was actually selling mushroom spawn making and selling mushroom spawn for the commercial growers at mm-hmm. the time and of course 87 was the crash and a lot of people went out of business, couldn't pay their bills and everything so I decided I'd have to get into a business with a better cash flow Yeah. so that's why I looked at changing the arrangement here and just growing exotic mushrooms mm. so Because I import cultures from all around the world, someone had sent me some cultures of a brown mushroom. And so we started to grow that in this tunnel. And the tunnel was actually, uh, it was a business run by a friend of mine and he had a business in Sydney and because of family commitments, he had to leave this and, and go back to Sydney. So I just took it over and I grew, tested all my strains that we were making. And then we started to grow Swiss browns in there. So when we did, we called them Swiss browns because that's where the culture came from, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we did, we, we we couldn't sell more than 100 kilos a week because everyone thought they were dirty mushrooms. Um, but the European chefs knew what they were because they had them in Europe. And so um, we sold a lot to the restaurants and whatever. And but we were limited to maybe about a hundred kilos a week yep. of Swiss browns and today we don't grow any because it's a different method of production and now there's tons of Swiss brown grown mm. all over Australia um, <clears throat> then we turned to growing shiitake mushroom which no one had heard of either we had trouble selling them uh, and and the two things drove the business one was all the Japanese honeymooners that came out here in the 80s and all went to Queensland for their honeymoon. Well, they wanted m- more of this, their type of food, and so we ended up sending a lot of what we grew to Queensland. Mm-hmm. So Queensland was our biggest market initially, and then um, one day, one of the big walrus came to us and said, "Look, here's some photographs of uh, of." Uh, the markets in San Francisco and New York this is this is what it's like and they've got seven different types of mushrooms that's what we want to do so we set about uh, growing all the different types of mushrooms so so initially we were growing swiss brown and then shiitake and then we start to grow enoki um, wood ear then we start to grow oyster and shimoji uh, and then finally enoki and king brown mm-hmm. so Um, and then we sold them all through the uh, the main business in those days was through the uh, uh, the food service industry through providors and and restaurants and hotels Right. that's all changed now because now most of the business goes through the supermarkets because um, (coughs) supermarkets the one good thing about supermarkets is that they a fate they they want to sell Australian produce. They mm-hmm. don't want to be selling imported uh, exotic mushrooms, so they're very loyal uh, as far as that's concerned. Uh, so we get all our produce into the into the supermarkets, and because two things have happened, the Australians are very adventurous when it comes to eating. Mm-hmm. They'll try any sort, and they travel a lot, so. They they're familiar with all the types of mushrooms that are consumed in Asia, where most of these mushrooms come from are grown naturally. So, uh, and then you've you've got every second week on a television prog- cooking program. There's someone doing a mushroom recipe. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's pushed pushed the consumption of exotic mushrooms along, and it's good because we've had. Uh, they're interesting, number one, and also the the story of the tunnel is interesting, number two, mm-hmm. so um, people are interested to see programmes that feature exotic mushrooms and the tunnel and how we grow them. So yep. it's it's been self driven promotion, yep. you know. Um, which we're grateful for.
0: Mm. <laughs> and I guess you were saying as well though that um you know, your business has taken a bit of a hit in the supermarkets as well by, you know, imported products and things like that too. You've had to sort of change the, the scope of what you grow.
1: Not in the supermarkets. Not the supermarkets, in the supermarkets. Only by Australian. Yeah. Uh, but, um, we, the, the, the fresh food markets in the in the fr- fresh food, markets and the restaurant chain, we have been affected because there's a lot of mushrooms grown in Korea. Uh, and China um, and so there's a lot of imports coming into Australia mm-hmm. and it's very hard to compete with them. Uh, the only real thing about we've got going for us is that uh, our produce is fresh Yeah. and they quite often bring stuff in from Korea or China in, in shipping containers so they're three weeks old before they get here Yeah. Um, and our all our produce is is subject to food safety standards because we have tested for chemicals and residuals and all this, this sort of thing. And you don't know, you don't know about China. In Korea, they've they're very good production houses, so the quality of the stuff when they pick it in over there is really good. Mm-hmm. But it takes three weeks to get here, mm. so it's not fresh. Yeah, um, and you can tell the difference if we if we cooked up our. Our uh, mushrooms compared to the import stuff, you can tell which is the freshest. So, uh, that's that's one good thing going, and and people are becoming more and more aware of uh, or wanting Australian produce ahead of anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah,
0: and I mean, just from walking around in the tunnel this morning, the you can see what the, your mushrooms look like. You can see the freshness of them. They're just you know they're pure in color and just look fantastic even even here as well and I can't imagine the difference between that and something that's been sitting in a shipping container for a few weeks on its yeah, way over here.
1: Yeah. Well, we know, we really have stock in the cool room, you know. We the thing about exotic mushrooms, they're low yielding. Um so that tunnel, for instance, produces 1600 1500 kilos of exotic mushrooms a week. Yeah. The average White button mushroom farm will grow twenty two tons mm-hmm. of mushrooms a week. Yep. So, you know, that's that's it. Sixteen hundred kilos is a lot.
0: Why? Why is that? Why the big difference in yield between exotic and sort of regular mushrooms? Is it because of,
1: yeah. because they grow on um, they grow on most of them grow on dead trees, dead sawdust. They they're recyclers in nature. Yeah. Their, their job is to colonise dead trees use the lignin and the cellulose as a food source, produce the mushrooms and in the end the uh, tree breaks down and ends up as organic matter in the soil. So they grow on lignin and cellulose, not a very rich nutrient base to be growing things on. Whereas the uh, white button mushrooms grown on, they use Uh, nitrogen supplements and they use protein meals they add all sorts of things it's quite a rich substrate so you get a yield of uh well the yield i'd say is 10 or 12 times that that you can get from growing exotic mushrooms that's why and and it's labor intensive. you can see from that we we have to put everything in and out by hand whereas You can mechanise the white button industry. You can mechanise that a lot, right? But it's capital intensive. Yeah. Uh, but this other way, it's 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 not capital intensive, but it's it's labour intensive.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And I mean, just speaking again about the tunnel, it's obviously got a huge history. How did you originally sort of come across the tunnel? Were you selling? Um, sort of the culture to the people that were originally growing mushrooms in there or how would you come across it and sort of take it over
1: um well it was taken over in the 50s by a local a, a local guy and they started to grow mushrooms for Edgel's cannery the big black uh,
0: big field mushroom the field there.
1: mushroom type yeah. and they grew them for for canning and the canning like most of the mushrooms consumed in Australia, grown in Australia in the 50s and 60s, were for canning. Right. And then when when the Whitlam government came into power in the 70s and 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 uh, dropped all the tariffs, there's a flood of imports came into Australia, and so the growers couldn't compete. No way they could compete. So. They changed their tack and changed from growing for the canning industry to growing for the fresh market. And there's no way imports could compete with them on the fresh market. So they put all their effort into doing that and they've been uh, spectacularly successful because now Australians consume the second highest per head. Uh, of white button mushrooms of any country in the world behind the French, mm-hmm. and that's where mushroom growing first began in France. So they've promoted it, and it's it's a healthy, uh, you know, they've promoted the health the health uh, properties of, of mushrooms and and nutritional properties and everything, and so they they stand really well. But they're they're all grown now in in air conditioned. Uh, paneled, insulated buildings with air conditioning, temperature control, uh, humidity control, very mm-hmm. very um, uh, controlled farming it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas my stuff is is just uh, you grow on dead trees so you use sawdust uh, and you grow it that way and you grow them side by side and a few moulds here or there doesn't matter because that happens in the forest. Yep. Yeah,
0: and I mean, and so after that original production of mushrooms in, in the tunnel, um, sort of, how did you how did you come well, about the tunnel?
1: The um, it was used for growing for edibles up until uh, up until about nineteen eighty seven. As I, and as I said, I had a friend who had this as a business down here, but he also had a business in uh, in Windsor as well. And because of family troubles, he, he couldn't run both. So he, he just walked out and left that yep. uh, and handed it, you take over the lease. So I took it over and I was doing nothing with it until uh, the crash came and then we decided to change the business. Mm-hmm. So what happened then is we changed, instead of making mushroom spawn, we started to make exotic mushrooms. And, yep. and using the same equipment and then we used the tunnel for growing them so that's how it happened it was mm. just coincidence of of time really, really? <laughs> yeah yeah
0: and so i mean when you when you first had this idea of you know growing these exotic mushrooms in in this big old uh railway tunnel sort of what was the reaction like? Like, how did you originally try to sort of enter the market in supplying people and you know t- spreading the word about the tunnel? Now it's quite well known now, but originally was it a bit of a, you know, oh, yeah, obviously it's a very difficult. It's, it's
1: uh, <laughs> as I said, we we were lucky to sell a hundred kilos a week of uh, Swiss Browns and a hundred kilos a week of shiitake at that stage. Yeah, um, and now we sell about 700 kilos of shiitake a week, and plus all the other varieties that we grow mm-hmm. so it, it's grown um, and a lot of it has come in replacing product that formerly wasn't grown here, it came from overseas so whatever we grow, Australian made, we can sell and at the same time the market has grown because there's more and more stuff coming from overseas and uh, so the demand, the the demand is sort of picked up on mm-hmm. all exotic mushrooms.
0: Yeah, great. And you were saying that you you know you supply restaurants and um, restaurants around here in the Southern Highlands. You've got good support from local chefs and things too.
1: Oh yes, yes. Yeah. And we supply we supply a lot of um, the, the key restaurants in Kylie Kwong's and and the key restaurant and and. Uh, are those sorts of restaurants? Yeah, yeah. They all they all get our produce. Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder because you're competing against imports now. <laughs> yeah, it is harder. But some some restaurants specifically want Australian, and that's it. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, I think it makes sense, and especially when you talk, you know, when you're talking about the freshness of mushrooms that come in on yeah. a boat versus, you know, ones that are grown right here, you know, an yeah. hour and a half from Sydney. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, chefs these days, especially in top restaurants like the ones that you talk about, are definitely interested in, in supporting local produce. They, they,
1: and, and their customers want to know where the food comes from. Yeah. There's, you know, I've done a few talks at different uh, re, uh, restaurants that um, that have a food uh, dinner or something, and they have their customers there, and, I, and they invite along a winemaker or a producer of something or other. Uh, I've been to a few of those, and it's quite it's quite good. Yeah, um,
0: and I guess the whole time you're sort of helping educate people about what your varieties of mushrooms yeah, are out there yeah. and how to how to use them.
1: Yeah, yeah. and and uh, really for us the um, we used to sell at the uh, Darling Harbour markets at um, at Piemont and and we've sold at the Canberra markets for you know, six six or seven years, and and that I could see that. Uh, as being a good... It was like a good area to train people. People would come up, what's this, how do you use it? Uh, and so you... If you cook cook some for them or if you tell them how to do it, they're back next week. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a great way to promote them. But, it, you know, you've got to be the... At those markets, you have to be the producer and it's pretty hard when you're working five days or yeah. six days a week to spend a day at the markets. But I, I... I enjoyed the markets so, mm.
0: yeah. yeah I mean you must get a variety of responses but especially you know having six or seven different types of exotic mushrooms out on your stand and yeah. people coming along and probably not even knowing what some of them are it's good new experience? I or used
1: to do a, a little thing at the Canberra markets if I didn't come for two weeks say if I had to go away overseas for a conference or something and I didn't turn up for two weeks then when I got back uh, you'd get uh, one or two responses. There'd be some people who want to smack you because <laughs> you weren't there. Where were you last week? You know, we didn't get our. M-. And then there are other people who want to give you a hug. You yeah. know, And I used to, <laughs> I used to take a tally, you know, and put them, and just see what happened at the end <laughs> of the day.
0: <laughs> That's great, and it's great that you can have those, uh, like you say, you have those returning customers, the people that come back, because they're also the people that. Um, you know spread the word to their friends and, yes, and, yes. and and talk about it, and maybe have a dinner party that has yes. you know your mushrooms as one of the dishes. And yes, yeah, it's a great cycle in, in that sort of thing. And having a direct contact with your
1: customer at the markets must be a great yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, and we do because um, the tunnel is, is, is on railway land, and it's you're not allowed to have too many visitors in there, private cars in there, so two or three three times a year we do tours yep. of the place um, and we do them on a long weekend so that way we can uh, you see every day we have to pick and pack produce to send out well long weekends you've got a day that you don't have to do that mm-hmm. so we do the farm tours on those days when there's plenty of mushrooms to see and um, usually we get about a hundred people come through the place wow. and you can tell them a bit about the hist because it's it's a very historic sort of yeah, place yeah. and, and a lot of people don't know that it's here in the Southern Islands.
0: Well, I mean, I've, I've kept track of sort of, you know, I've known about what you do over the years for quite a while now as you've sort of come into prominence in media and different articles or on television shows and things like that. But, you know, before I met you today, I didn't know where it was and it's it's funny because it's it's in a it's in a spot which is right around the corner from a, from where everyone knows in Barrow, yes, but you yes. wouldn't even know it's
1: there. Yeah, people are amazing. They and a lot of people go on the train to Sydney, don't even know it's there, and they go past it every day and yeah. they see people there and whatever. No one knows what is there. And um, a few years ago. Around Christmas time, we had too many uh, mushrooms, you know, and and there was no demand for them. So I took them to the local pub, told the chef to cook them up in uh, oyster mushrooms egg and breadcrumbs, and serve them with some chili sauce. So they put them out on the <coughs> on the benches in the in the working man's bar, yeah. and everybody's into them like they thought they were chicken. And, and <laughs> so they come up and say, you know, where do they? What are these? Where do they come from? Well, where do you grow these and I said oh in the railway tunnel and and the number of them that said what do you do when the trains come and I said well we pick them up and put them on one side and let the train go and <laughs> <laughs> we bring them back <laughs> but yes it's it's uh, but it's part of the highlands history you know
0: yeah most definitely which is great
1: 1866 the, the tunnel was built when the you, train line went from Sydney to Moss Vale, end of the story, and that was it. Yeah, end of story.
0: And uh, you're then, saying it's all barrel brick as well.
1: It's all barrel brick inside, and and uh, during the war, you know, when the Japanese submarines came into Sydney Harbour and they were worried about Australia being invaded, they they firstly were going to use that as a refuge for the people of Barrel, and then they decided to change it and put store munitions in for the air force. Yeah, so.
0: <laughs> and it's it's all underground. The whole thing's underground. Yeah,
1: it's 650 meters long, and about a hundred I, I get mixed up. About 150 feet below the top of the hill. Really, wow. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's cool. Uh, it's insulated. Yeah. So that's why the temperature. Is around sixteen degrees throughout all year round. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets a bit hotter at one end in the summertime, and it gets colder at the other in the wintertime, depending where the air, which way the wind's coming. Mm-hmm. So, mm. but it's a steady temperature all year round. Yeah. No air conditioning required. That's the beauty of it.
0: Yeah, it must be. I, I guess some of the sort of larger production facilities with, um, you know, white button mushrooms or whatever it may be must have air conditioning running full time. Oh, yeah,
1: because you've got to grow them at, at a certain temperature at different stages and, and you need to humidify and, and pass... And then you need to keep the CO2 level down below a certain amount so you need to push fresh air through the building and yep. that has to be chilled, cooled and humidified. So it, there's a lot of work in that. So, so the beauty of the exotics is it's using waste products, uh, sawdust, which mm-hmm.
0: is... You know? And you're saying it comes from the snowy mountains, the sawdust you use
1: yeah it's a cold climate uh, eucalyptus tree yeah it is, and then so you use um uh, a waste product you get you produce food and at the end of the day you end up after cropping you end up with a potting mix actually
0: yeah. and is that uh, where does your where do they go uh
1: we give it to, we sell it to a local nursery and they blend it in and make potting mixes out of it um, yeah. We can't get um, people can't come in there and fill up their trailers and that because it's on, it's on uh, government land. But and the other thing about it, you saw those long logs. I actually take them and and let them dry out over the summer, and then I burn them in my wood burner at home. And oh, really? One bag of them will heat my house for a day. Really? So it's 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 a complete cycle of you know. Very yeah, efficient.
0: definitely. That's a great cycle, and I think you know people look for environmentally sustainable farming practices and things like that and i mean you know producers that might be producing another product strive to do as much as they can in that in that department whether it be sort of composting or having chooks and worm farms and things like that to create a bit of an ecosystem and it's it's great that you know with with a production like exotic mushrooms which is you know, a far cry from a cattle farmer or a sheep farm or something like that. You can still sort of run a similar cycle and make it as sustainable as mm, possible.
1: Yeah, the the end the end story, which which would be nice to do something about, is that uh, in in Italy now they've um, manufactured. We use steam boilers, so we use uh, diesel fuel or gas to make steam to sterilise. Uh, our bags of product before we put the spawn in and so uh, but in Italy now they're using compressed sawdust uh, into logs and they're burning these logs and making fuel to run boilers well it'd be really good if we could do the same and use our spent shiitake logs and just use them as the fuel to run the boiler that'd be that'd Mm. be the next step but it's it, then it's completely energy, energy free.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, obviously, it's a very unique space that you have, this tunnel, and you do, you do do tours, and you've had some sort of celebrities and some television shows come through the tunnel along the way. What sort of reaction do you get, firstly from, I guess, the people that are on the tours and then also, you know, members of the media and, and celebrity chefs and stuff that have come through?
1: Oh, yes, we've had over the years we've had um, we've had we've had a a lot of them come and uh, Peter Evans Kylie Kwong and uh, Antonio Coluccio and 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 Jamie Oliver and anyway lots and and uh, Stefan from from the uh, Living Room program Um, yeah they they, um, they all come they're all enthusiastic people about food and everything else Jamie Oliver told told, I asked him why he specifically wanted to come he came to Australia and I couldn't tell anyone that he was coming to Barrel because he didn't want the publicity otherwise he'd get chased down so Mm -hmm. I had to say well no I won't tell anyone um And he came, I said, well, why did you want to see this place? He said, someone in England told me about it. He said, you go to Australia, you've got to see this place. So, uh, and I said to him, well, you know Antonio Carluccio? He said, yeah, I did my training with him. And I said, uh, oh, well, if you see him, tell him to come. Well, he came about a month later. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
0: Yeah. He's spreading the word through the celebrity chef circles internationally, <laughs> it's fantastic yeah but he, uh,
1: Jamie said <laughs> ours was the most unusual farm that he's seen he it's the most
0: that, unusual farm I've seen for sure it? Yeah, and he
1: told <laughs> me of one other there's one other in the north of England where they grow uh, pink rhubarb right and they build long uh, tunnels like um, in uh, under the ground they dig these tunnels uh, and then they they make ridge beds and they put the rhubarb corm in. They grow it outside and then they put the corm in and then they grow it in the darkness, complete dark. So you see the, you can see it on YouTube. It's very interesting. Yeah. And they go in with little candles <coughs> and they pick it. So the stalks grow up and they're pink in colour, or yep. pinkish-white, you know. But he said it's the sweetest rhubarb and you... Um, all the chefs in London all, all go for it you know it's it's big demand because you don't have to put sugar with it and it's beautiful wow yeah. underground so that, that's the only other one he said that he's ever <laughs> seen
0: yeah you know you've got a fantastic product and, and as, as Jamie Oliver said a really unusual environment and it's great that you can get the public involved whether it be at the farmers markets or bringing tours through and stuff like that and you know I guess what you're doing with Educating people about exotic mushrooms and about how to cook them, you know, through the farmers' markets or at the um, at the at the mushroom tours and things is sort of a fantastic part of the business. And it's, as you say, it's like environmentally sustainable and economical as well, as much as it can be. Yes, yes,
1: yeah. Well, that's why I do it. I mean, I'm a scientist by like, training. I studied genetics, and so we breed our own strains. And I and I like to find ways of growing um, these types of mushrooms in Australia a lot of these they're commonly grown in Asia or, or parts of Japan and, and, and America but they're all grown on oak sawdust and you know we don't have much of oak sawdust here so our substrate's unique and our environment is unique to mm-hmm. what to what these people have so to be able to uh, introduce and, and we've in that tunnel we've introduced maybe five mushrooms into Australia that weren't grown here before wow. so that's a good thing
0: yeah fantastic <laughs> yeah and
1: and you can name them some of them because you you're the first to grow it you can name it so the chestnut mushrooms is the name I gave them yeah the Swiss Brown mushrooms the name I gave them um, one two yeah they're, they're the two that's fantastic there you go
0: you'd never even know and it, things like that become so commonplace now that yeah. people don't realise I, that get, a, I <laughs> get a
1: bit annoyed when, uh, when some people put some imported product into a pallet and sell it as chestnut mushrooms when, uh, when I've named the thing anyway <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well well done well done for what you've done for mushrooms in Australia um, Noel thanks so much for contributing to this book Okay. Yeah, It'll it's be a, a great a good publication yeah, there. yeah. And, um, you know, we've got some good support from other growers and obviously lots of chefs around the Highlands as well. And I think there's a lot of fantastic things happening with food in this region. People are very interested in it and, you know, there's a good dining scene and, and people coming and going to farms and going on mushroom tours and wineries and things like that. So it's quite exciting.
1: Mm, okay. Yeah. All right. All right, thanks. Thanks, for- Thank you for
0: tuning into the QuickSand Food Connection podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Harold from Lee Sun Exotic Mushrooms. He's a very fascinating guy and the tunnel in which he grows his mushrooms has got to be one of the most unique farms in the world. I really enjoyed getting to know him and having that conversation and I hope you did too. If you want to find out more about Lee Sun Exotic Mushrooms, you can visit their website which is lee-sunexoticmushrooms.com.au or you can find them on social media. If you want to find out more about quicksand food, you can visit us online at quicksandfood.com or on social media at quicksandfood on Facebook and on Instagram. And if you want to download any more of the Southern Highlands cookbook podcasts, they're available all for free on our website, quicksandfood.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and we'll see you around next time. Hold up.